The Anatomy of Stories, Chapter 10, Episode 68, Subsection 10D, Values and Conflict. Great drama is not the product of two individuals butting heads. It is the product of the values and ideas of the individuals going into battle. Conflict of values and moral argument are both forms of moral dialogue. Track 2. Conflict of values involves a fight over what people believe in. Moral argument and dialogue involves a fight over right and wrong action. Most of the time, values come into conflict on the back of story dialogue, track one, because this keeps the conversation from being too obviously thematic. But if the story rises to the level of a contest between two ways of life, a head-to-head -head battle of values and dialogue becomes necessary. In a head-to-head -head battle of values, the key is to ground the conflict on a particular course of action that the characters can fight about. But instead of focusing on the right or wrong of a particular action, parenthetical, moral argument, the characters fight primarily about the larger issue of what is a good or valuable way to live. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life is superb, not only in its ability to show the texture of a town in magnificent detail, but also in its ability to show the values of two ways of life. The scene where George and Potter argue about the future of the building and loan is the most important argument in the film. The writers make Potter an even greater opponent by allowing him to express in detail the values and indeed the logic system by which he lives. And these values are in direct opposition to George's values. As a social fantasy, this isn't just an argument between two people on the personal level. This is about how an entire society should live. So this dialogue is also political. It's not political in any specific way, which quickly becomes dated. This is human politics, how people live under leaders. What's really brilliant here is the way the writers make this big picture talk extreme, extremely emotional and personal. They focus on a single action closing the building and loan, and personalize it with the death of the hero's father. Notice that with the exception of a short interchange in the middle, this scene is really two monologues. Both monologues are quite long and break the conventional Hollywood wisdom requiring short snippets of back-and-forth talk. That's because each character needs time to build his case for an entire way of life. If the writers didn't ground this in a personal fight between two people who despise each other, it would come across as dry political philosophy. Position on the character arc. With the death of his father, George has experienced the first, first frustration of his life's desire, parenthetical, to see the world and build things, and made his first act of self-sacrifice for his family and his friends. Now he is about to go off to college to pursue his dream. Problem. The writers must mount a fight about the values on which the town and America itself should be built without sermonizing. Strategy 1. Have the hero and the main opponent argue over the future of an institution that funds everything else in the town, the building and loan, as well as about the man who built the institution but now has died. 2. Focus the entire philosophical argument down to one word, richer, in the last line of the hero's monologue. Desire. Potter, Potter wants to close the building and loan. End point. He fails because George stops him. Opponent. George. Plan. Potter directly calls for the closing of the building and loan, and George directly opposes it. 
opposes him. Conflict. The conflict intensifies when Potter moves from talking about the institution to talking about George's father. Twist or reveal. Young George is able to go head to head with this man who bullies everyone else. Moral argument and values. The exchange between these men is worth close inspection because it is a classic example of values in conflict. Notice how well both these monologues are sequenced. These men are making very specific arguments, representing two opposing political and philosophical systems. Potter's Arguments and Values 1. There is an important distinction between being a businessman and being a man of high ideals. 2. High ideals without common sense can ruin the entire town. From this, the audience knows that the town itself is the battleground and that the central question of the film will be what way of life will make that battleground, that world, <coughs> a better place in which to live. Three, Potter goes to a particular example, Ernie Bishop, the friendly taxi driver, someone the audience knows and likes. Ernie has already shown the audience that he is not a risky man, but Potter claims that Ernie got money to build a house only because of a personal relationship he had with George. Four, the consequence of this kind of business, says Potter, is a discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty, thrifty working class. Here is the sinister implication of Potter's system of values. America is a class society in which Potter feels justified ruling those in the lower class. At this point, the dialogue may go too far. Potter is not only the classic patriarch, but also the evil capitalist. 5. Potter ends by attacking the very thing that George represents, the starry-eyed dreamer and the sort of personal communal contact that makes a town a worthwhile place in which to live. George's Argument and Values Key point. The writer set up George's argument by having his father make the same case to him a few scenes before, at which time George gave the opposing view. This makes George's eloquence both more believable and more poignant. 1. George makes a brilliant opening move by conceding a point to Potter. His father was no businessman, and he himself has no taste for the penny ante building and loan. 2. He then shifts the argument so that it is primarily about his father. His father was selfless, although that selflessness resulted in neither George nor Harry being able to go to college. Number 3. He attacks Potter on Potter's ground, which is business. He says that his father helped others get out of Potter's slums and that made them better citizens and better customers, able to increase the wealth and welfare of the entire community. Four, he kicks the argument up a level by making the case for the heroism of the little man. The people that Potter call lazy rabble are the ones who do most of the working and paying and living and dying in the community. They are, in short, the strength of the community, its heart and soul. And if the community is to be a place where all people can have fulfilling lives, then no one can be treated as a member of a lower class. 5. George concludes with the most essential argument of all, that of the inalienable rights of a human being. His father treated people as human beings, as ends in themselves, where Potter treats people as cattle, as mindless animals to be herded wherever he chooses. In other words, Potter treats them as means to his own end the end of making money. Key point. At the same time the writers make their most encompassing argument, the rights of the common man, 
They are also focusing on the most personal level, with the key line and key word coming last. Potter is doing all of this, says George, because he is a warped, frustrated old man. This line is crucially important in the film, not simply because it describes Potter, but even more because frustration is George's most obvious characteristic. Now comes the final line, the end point of the scene. Well, in my book, my father died a much richer man than you'll ever be. One word, richer, has two different values. The more obvious one, how much money a person makes, defines Potter. But the deeper one, meaning a personal contribution to others and from others in return, defines George. Key word, richer. The uh, enter the building, uh, Bailey building and loan office day. Potter. Peter Bailey was not a businessman. That's what killed him. He was a man of high ideals, so-called, but ideals without common sense can ruin this town. Picking up papers from table. Now you take this loan here to Ernie Bishop, you know, that fellow that sits around all day on his brains in his taxi. You know, I happen to know the bank turned down his loan, but he comes here and we're building him a house worth $5,000. Why? George is at the door of the office holding his coat and papers ready to leave. George. Well, I handle that, Mr. Potter. You have all the papers there. His salary, insurance. I can personally vouch for his character. Potter, sarcastically. A friend of yours? George. Yes, sir. Potter. You see, if you shoot poo with some employee here, you can come and borrow money. What does that get us? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. And all because a few starry-eyed dreamers like Peter Bailey stir them up and fill their heads with a lot of impossible ideas. Now I say, George puts down his coat and comes around to the table incensed by what Potter is saying about his father. George, just a minute, just a minute. Now hold on, Mr. Potter. You're right when you say that my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny-ante building and loan, I'll never know. But neither you nor anyone else can say anything against his character because his whole life was, why, in the 25 years he and Uncle Billy started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Isn't that right, Uncle Billy? He didn't save enough money to send Harry to school, let alone me, but he did help a few people get out of the, your slums, Mr. Potter. And what's wrong with that? Here, you're all businessmen here. Doesn't it make them better citizens? Doesn't it make them better customers? You, you said, what did you just say a minute ago? They had to wait and save their money before they even ought to think of a decent home. Wait. Wait for what? Until their children grow up and leave them? Until they're so old and broken down that they... Do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well... Is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'll stop there and pick up tomorrow with um, The sh Shadow of a Doubt.